Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio, the world's number one talk health radio. My name is Steve Bruce, and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the CEOs, founders and clinicians who are leading the health tech revolution in the UK and beyond. I am the CEO and founder of a health tech company myself, and I am passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. This is our second show back after our little holiday break, and it's going to be an absolute cracker. Uh, before we get to that, I just want to go through a little bit of business. Please make sure you follow us on the socials. It's at Health Tech Hour. Please follow the station, which is at UK Health Radio. We have a ton of new presenters on, all with great shows. Make sure you follow the station to see what's see what's coming up. Now, regular listeners might remember a couple of months back, maybe six weeks ago, we had a show that was dedicated to social care, to the social care crisis. Um, Give really around how technology was playing a part or could play a part in alleviating some of the problems. Fergus Hay, who is the chairman of one of the leading social care companies in the UK, Digital Home Visits, um, came on and he gave us a number of key insights into the social care crisis. For example, that there was already a shortfall of 45,000 carers prior to COVID, which then leapt up to 75,000 as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Beds are being blocked. I think Fergus mentioned that over a million bed days per year were being blocked predominantly, primarily because people couldn't be released from uh, hospitals into social care because there was no one to look after them. There were no carers. Um, Since Fergus came on, a couple of things happened. The first was that we got a huge response to the social care show, probably the biggest response we've ever had to any show. And the second is that the government has introduced a law which I think probably a lot of listeners will be aware of, um, it's been very heavily publicised, to enforce mandatory vaccinations in social care. So anyone that works in social care has to be double vaccinated or had to have been double vaccinated, I I believe, although Fergus and and, and Matthew will correct me, but um, by last week, which has made the staffing problem significantly worse. This mandatory vaccination issue has been discussed in the media, and so we thought that we would do a... Uh, a follow-up show um, on the social care crisis. So today is a social care special and Fergus is back along with Matthew Dunster, who is the managing director of Digital Home Visits, uh, a veteran in the social care sector. I can't wait to get into this because this is an issue that affects everyone uh, listening. So we all have parents, aunts, uncles, family, friends that have either gone through the social care system or who will be going through the social care system. So it's very emotional, but it's also very relevant to everyone listening. So why don't we get started? Um, Fergus, you've been on before, so I'm going to start with Matthew. Matthew, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Good. Welcome to the show. Good, good. Fergus, how are you? Terrific, thanks, Steve. You look like you've aged uh, since I last saw you. What, what, what's oh. going on? How, how's it being a successful CEO of a tech company that's gone through famous, a good found, funding round? Well, I think, you know, you probably knit the, the nail on the head. I've aged since you last saw me. 
So, you know, I think that probably <laughs> says, says it all. But no, we're good. Pop dogs, pop dogs going well. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're cracking on. We've got work. We're working in polio. We're working in COVID. We're working on cardiovascular disease. There's a lot going on. Um, so normally to the show, we have a three part structure, which is that, um, you know, we, we go through the origins and then we go through what's going, going on and so on. But we've got such a lot to unpack around this issue that I'm going to kind of go rogue. Um, ignore my production notes and just sort of you know we're gonna we're gonna do the show a little bit more um freewheeling so Matthew um I'd like to start with you um for some context for myself and also the people listening when and why did you become involved in the social care sector what's what's the kind of origin story there so um I became involved in 2005 so there was a small family business that was uh doing um recruitment into the healthcare sector and I, uh, I I joined this family business after 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 a few years of sort of putting it off. Um, the, the industry I was working in was going through a bit of a change, so I joined the family business and took the recruitment. I wanted to do temporary staffing for health. Uh, that's what I felt felt was it. And we had a very very small at the time. I think it turned over seven thousand pounds a week or something like that. A domiciliary care arm on that business. Um, and I wanted to close it immediately because there was a lot of hassle, right? Giving people a care time. But, um, and for, you know, well, fortunately, unfortunately, the, uh, the demand just kept growing and, the, and, and, and we, we, we basically hit a bit of a run. And, um, I brought some, uh, new ways of working to the company that I'd taken from sort of my, um, my experience in the sort of wider corporate world. Um, we kind of grew quite rapidly and we started winning public contracts. So that was, uh, when 15, 16 years ago and we just kept growing the um, domiciliary care business and now we sort of have the reverse where we have a very large domiciliary care business and uh, a very very small temporary staffing business um, and earlier this year we um, we the couple of the founders and me we we exited the group in terms of shares and we we uh, exited to digital home visits and as part of that arrangement um, the uh, digital home visits over to, took over the care bureau and i took over digital home visits um which was very exciting for me because basically i'm i'm interested in where it's going in the next sort of 20 years there's a huge uh, volume of people within social care who have a lot of experience but a lot of them tend to be uh, uh, five ten years off retirement maximum um so i think where it's going in sort of the next in the next two decades are, are more interesting and that's why we took that took that jump there and what, what motivated you to get involved in the first place? In well, way back when? I have to say I wasn't massively motivated to get to, to get involved. I, I, I wanted to close it straight away and do staffing because, you know, staffing's much easier. You you, you deliver people and they, they do the they do the thing. You'd have to get involved. What kept me in it was two or three things. One one was um Working in certain sectors, corporate sectors, I've worked before. I never, you know, there was very much the, the people I got to work with very vanilla. They were the same type of people. They had the same type of background. They had the same type of education and stuff like that. Social care is a bit different. You've got a huge, in the management teams, you've got people without any formal qualifications um, in, in, in terms of management. They've come up through ranks of being carers and supervised managers. And so you get to work with a, a range of different people. Um, that keeps me interested. The, um, the fact that I feel like I'm doing something that's, appreciated on a wider scale is, is, is a big motivating factor to working to, to sort of leadership and social care. Um, 
and then I think that you know certainly in the last um, sort of you know even before but since the last sort of ten years there's been a real sort of drive to bring this sector to the forefront so 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 look at how it works operationally look at how it works technologically look at how um, it's commissioned and it's obviously the overlaps between social care and healthcare have got have got more and more and they've they've, they've integrated more and more uh, and I think that's an interesting space to be in um, because. I mean, we can rely on one thing. We can rely on people getting older and we can rely on people becoming unwell. Um, and I think, I think in, in that, we can rely on that that, that is going to be um, something that's going to requ- require a challenge that's, um, that's interesting space to work in. I think that's, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And what, um, at, at the time when you, when you started, what were, the kind of, what were the key things that you sort of immediately noticed about, about the space that might have been, unexpected or like could you give us a flavor of what it was like back then versus now sort of like a comparison because i mean i'm assuming it may some things may have changed beyond out of sight and some things may have not changed at all so i don't i'd just be interested to hear what you you know what your thoughts are the yeah so in 2005 when i started a lot of local authorities because they commissioned the this social care they were they didn't have structured contracts necessarily um, this is something they were really looking towards in the sort of early 2000s and late 2000s. That um, they that it was it was a different. The, the people you were looking after were far less complex than they are today. So the barrier to get funded social mm. care in 2005 2006 was very very low. There was very limited. Um, payments from their side from the from the individual side at like in contributions um and you know okay. it, what we used to call cups tea guys so that there were people that just required checking on go and check right. they're all right check they were, check they were healthy make them a cup of tea make them make sure they're eating okay. and go out anyone who had a lot more requirements we were in residential care and people who needed more requirements that were in nursing residential care okay. uh, but over the period of time, I mean, interesting statistic is there's, there's fewer people in funded social care now than there was 10 years ago, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because... You, you mean on, a, on, a, on, wait, on, a, on an absolute basis or on a percentage of the population base? No, on an absolute, so fewer fewer people have funded wow. social care. Okay. Um, and, but the people who are in it are massively more... Have, their needs are massively more complex. So the barrier to get the social funded care is... Um, it has been, has gone up and up and up. Right. The complexities of the contracts, what you need to operate within them, has gone up and up and up. Um, yet, still, it it seemed to be ten years ago that there was going to be a you know it was a hugely fragmented market, which was right for sort of the merge and acquisition model. And people, a lot of people, were assuming that the, that the market would be dominated by maybe five to ten large players. Um, that didn't really pan out because. When two thousand, if we think all the way back to two thousand and ten, and the start of sort of what the, the government austerity and things like that, then um, that meant that spending per capita and actually the numbers of capitals they were spending on was going down and down and down, and that basically forced prices down, forced ways of purchasing um, into more and more competitive angles, uh, and that forced some of the bigger the bigger operators like Allied Healthcare, if you call them, to sort of crash, um, and. What it's led to is we've still got an eighty percent, you know, eighty percent of dom care domiciliary care providers are independent, small, um, single site operations, probably less than a million pound turnovers, uh, and then wow. there's probably like fifteen larger players, and then there's a chunk of middle players, um, 
and and but you know there is no there's there's no lack of drive towards trying to solve the problems of the lack of supply but there there is um there's definitely some really harsh barriers in front but i think i think steve one of my observations and as you know you know i'm not i'm not from the healthcare sector you and i both know that because we used to work together but um but one of my observations as an outsider looking in was uh, we met quite a few domiciliary care providers and there is definitely a generational piece here where there is a premium on um owner directors who are of a age band like Matthew, um, who know the business inside out, know how it operates, and there's so many um, unseens in, 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 that, in that world, but also understand what the future needs to look like and how the world of technology and data and, um, and innovation can work within what can be um, quite difficult constraints of the social care sector. And that's why we, we were um, so excited to meet Matthew um, for the first time, because, uh, because we felt like that, that convergence um, was really important to the future of the category and something that actually wasn't as widespread as you would hope. And then really, you know, as we, as we kind of in this conversation start to talk about where we are today and what the future looks like, being able to bridge the reality of the system and then what what the future technologies can bring to improve it is is going to be critical to everyone. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's not just in this sector that the increasing digitization of healthcare. I mean, that's that's why we're doing what we're doing at PopDoc because the 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 healthcare across the board has embraced digitization. That genie's not going back in the bottle. Um, it's really the only way to deliver healthcare at a cost that is acceptable to governments and taxpayers. And deliver the quality of care to the and to meet the demand or even go part way to meeting the demand. So yeah, we're going to get into all of that. Don't worry, Fergus. But I think will probably be helpful at this point. Could you just you know for the listeners summarize the last show that we had? You know the key takeaways because I think that you could probably give us a bit of a you know a bit of a kind of point of order as to what was discussed last time, and then we can kind of move on as to what actually has changed because it's gotten worse if if, if anything, um, which I want to kind of go into. Yeah, so um, so last time we chatted, um, we, which I enjoyed hugely, actually, Steve. Um, well, you're back, so I assume you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it's for the fame, Steve. <laughs> uh, but the last time we chatted, um, you know, we explained about the origins of digital home visits and, and how we thought that um, we could create an app that would improve the efficiency of carers to get to beneficiaries faster and more accurately and actually as we got into the industry and we invested in the company and we created a company um, we realized that that wasn't the problem and the problem was as you um, outlined at the top of the show that you know there just aren't enough people to deliver the care and Matthew describes it as um, it's a kind of a a supply-led market in that there are more than enough people who need care but there are seriously not enough people to deliver it. And the numbers you, you hit at the top of the show, which was 45,000 shortfall of carers in the UK pre-COVID, um, 70,000 plus post-COVID, just gives you an idea of the scale of the problem. And we said, wow, like, no bit of kind of incremental technology that gets someone to a care project sooner is going to solve that problem. Like there was a huge labour deficit. And really the, what, what can solve that? It's, it's either government policy and private sector technology innovation. And, uh, and I think we need to lay as many bets as possible because, you know, you cannot get away from the crisis that is on, on show. And, and you talked about bed blocking and bed blocking is a, is a really serious issue. And in that, it's, it was actually two and a half million days of bed blocking. And that was pre-COVID. God knows what it is now. 
But, you know, the issue is, is that the hospitals will patch you up and get you to able body. But if you need to have care, they will only release you if there is an allocated carer. And uh, if you have a shortage of 70,000 care staff, there are a lot of people who just don't have access to care, which means they're stuck on the hospital bed, which means that other people can't get that hospital bed, which means other people's um, procedures are postponed. I saw mm. a fact today that it's a two and a half year waiting list for a lot of procedures at the moment because wow. of the shortage of staff and bed blocking. And, and you know, that becomes, that becomes really real when you add in a pandemic where you've got a serious surge in demand for hospital beds. So mm. what, what we looked at was like a, a kind of confluence of issues that was putting massive pressure on, on the state system, huge pressure on individuals. And, uh, and in fact, I saw a stat the other day, I haven't validated it. It was something like, if you calculated the cost of the care that families give to family members, it's something like 45 billion in the UK. Wow. You had to so build that out. Like, yeah. So that's so sort of like, like an, an unseen, unseen cost. Yeah. And look, I don't know if we should see looking after our family as a cost. Maybe that's exactly what we should be doing. But just the point is, like, this this issue is getting bigger and bigger. And so where we got to in the last show was, how do you release that bottleneck? And if the government can magic up 70,000 work visas, that would be amazing. Um, Or 70,000 people to do the jobs, that would be great. But then we have to look at the private sector and go, okay, well, what can we do to innovate? to stop people falling into the clinical care or acute care space? What can we do to keep people healthier longer so that there isn't this jamming of the bottleneck? And there are many private sector businesses like Babylon, who have recently listed, who have looked at developing technologies uh, for the privately funded sector that can, and can, that can make a difference to demand. And, you know, obviously they've got enormous scale because COVID hit and everyone was into remote um, uh, doctor, doctor access. But the private sector will deliver the innovation. Fundamentally, it's the government who will then extrapolate that into the nation, bearing in mind 80% of Dom Care is government funded. So that's where we got to last time. And I think we left it on a positive note. I think we started saying, crikey, this is the unknown crisis that people haven't really got their, uh, got their under the skin of yet. And we left it saying, but look, there is future here. Britain is an absolute foundry of creative innovation using technology we've seen that in fintech and other categories the healthcare space in in the uk is ripe and as you know steve i'm, I'm on the board of a digital healthcare venture capitalist fund and never has there been such excitement um in in uh, digital healthcare at the moment and we've got a government that is recognizing the issue and we saw a pledge of 35 billion um that they put in um a couple of months ago we talked about how that doesn't really scratch the surface but we can see in the media we can see that this is a, a major issue. And with elections coming up, we know that governments need to make action. That's where we well, left it in the last good. show. Well, look, on that point, we're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes with Matthew Dunstan and Fergus Hay from Digital Home Visits. And Matthew, I would like it after the break if you can bring us up to speed on the mandatory vaccinations and why that's exacerbated this staffing problem. So we'll be back in two minutes. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. good are vitamin C supplements? Usually only a small proportion of vitamin C actually reaches your cells and has a positive effect. Whereas the high absorption levels of Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C help maintain optimal vitamin C levels in your body and strengthen your immune system. Now get 10% off when you choose Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C capsules. 
Just quote 10 off at goldmanlaboratories.com. Do you suffer from pain? B-Cure Laser, a home-use CE-approved medical device for the effective treatment of pain, is now available in the UK. The results of a double-blind trial has shown that B-Cure Laser offers a significant reduction in pain compared to the placebo group. To get your special B-Cure offer now, call free on 0808 501 5122 or Google Radio Pro London. B-Cure Laser. B-Cure Laser. The station that makes you feel good. Welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with Matthew Dunstan and Fergus Hay from Digital Home Visits. We are unpacking the social care crisis today. It's a whole show dedicated just to the social care special. So um, just before the break, Fergus got us up to speed on where we were um, prior to the mandatory vaccination um, law that came in. And Matthew, I just would like to kind of pick that up with you now. I know you've got some thoughts on it, obviously, as a leader, a veteran leader of the industry, owner, manager of, of care homes and, and, and service providers. So what what has happened around this mandatory vaccination issue within the sector that's exacerbated the staffing problems and kind of some people say, I don't know whether you would concur, has made the problem worse, not not better? Well, um, the... In, in July, the government passed a, a law that everyone in a care home um, should be vaccinated in terms of all the frontline staff. Um, and they, and, and it's, a lot, it, it's easy to see why. <clears throat> there was um, a, a huge problem with um, the, the care homes got very, very badly hit um, during COVID, and it made sense. And, and anyone looking in from the outside was probably going to accept that that's probably a good idea if they're these people are working with these vulnerable, they should be vaccinated. So they brought that in in <coughs> July, excuse me. And um, I think they, um, I think at the time, most people were expecting there to be a sort of, a labour shortage was far off anyone's mind. So I don't think it was, it was heavily, heavily um, uh, fought against because most care home operators probably thought, well, labour, is going to be quite plentiful in the in the next sort of half of this year as as we roll off okay. furlough and things like that, um, and but what's happened is about um, sort of sixteen to twenty percent of those care home staff are not vaccinated, okay. and they had until the November um, well this week until to to get to have both both jabs done and and if not they couldn't work in any patient facing role and that includes people who are you know receptionists and anyone else um that, that might come across um care home residents now i'm talking about care homes and and, and i'm not i don't we're not involved with care homes and, and the reason that is because when we talk about social care a lot of people from the outside and the media as well, as well only think about care homes yeah they don't think about the wider issue of the care the care at home or home care or domiciliary care as we call it um and and it's odd because actually it's about twice as big is that um, right is yeah, right? there are there are wow. there are there are about half a million care just short of half a million care home residents in the in the UK, as opposed to near nearly a million people who are provide who, who are providing some sort of home care service. Wow, um, I didn't, whether I didn't that's really like that. and that that's a trend that's probably I mean I haven't got the historicals, but you'll there'll, there'll be at some point there'll be a cross in that graph, and that's only going to get more diverse because the um, the care home 
the care home is not the way that the government wants to fund and, and residential is not the way that people want to fund. they want to fund every everyone in their own home as far as possible so um and and that that reflects that w- what people are telling them as well most people want to stay in their own home they don't like to go into care homes um often the relatives would like them in a care home because then they don't have to worry about anything but mm. the individual themselves uh, and there's a lot of evidence to say that people do better in their own homes they do better they, they, they you know that they, they um that the, sort of once you start looking after someone on that scale they tend to decline faster as they yeah. as they do less and less for themselves now that, that brings us to be with the vaccines and that's where we are with the care homes at the moment and then uh, like i said now they've got an interesting point which is at the moment they can self um identify as not not being able to have the vaccine so they can basically sign a self-declaration um oh. that that ends on the christmas eve on the 24th of december from the 24th of december there are um, it will ne- there will be apps or ways that the, they will have to prove vaccination status. At the moment, they'll either have to prove vaccination status or self sign a self declaration, and it, you don't have the care home operator is not obliged to check upon this self declaration. Okay. You know, they're not obliged to look at it. That's given them a sort of, I reckon, a, a sort of a, 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 a cushion to the impact. Yeah, because yeah, it's, uh, that's. Um, um, that's like a that's like a slow glide flight path in, isn't it? To sure. be honest, I mean, sort of like yeah. a bit of a loophole until it gets shut off on the twenty fourth of December. That's right, and then and then we'll have to see what the compliance levels are like because it's going to take an amount of time for the, the the regulator, the Care Quality Commission, to work out a way of regulating that. How how do you store that data? How is it held? And how do we check? Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, in terms of now, what's happened in the last few weeks, which has been publicised, is the health secretary, um, uh, Javis Savage, has had basically given a his indication that he is going to take to Parliament and roll out the same rule for all NHS and social care staff. So that will cover all NHS staff um, in hospitals, in in any residential settings, and all staff that deliver anything to people's own homes. And all people who might be who might come in contact with those people, so that will cover receptionists. That will cover the people who come in and do the hairdressing in the care home. You know, that, anything like that. Well, and and so, also, sorry, just to hmm. jump in. It will cover anyone that looks after anybody in any capacity in that person's own home. Is that correct? Yes. So yeah. So, so like, basically, yes. So, so, so if yeah, any aspect of social care anywhere yeah. would require a, a full vaccination. Yeah. So anything that's regulated. As in, so so care and so social care is regulated by the Care Quality Commission. If you go into someone's home and um, do some cleaning for them, that's not a regulated activity. If you go and do personal care or help assist with feed them or medication, anything like that, that becomes regulated. So anyone doing that regulated activity, and then of course on the residential side, you've got any those are regulated locations. So mm-hmm. you know a hairdresser that has to have that has care home residents to their hairdressers busting won't have to do it but if they send the hairdresser to the residential home the, the, the hairdresser has to be vaccinated now what where, wherever your opinions on vaccinations are is is it for me uh, you know i think vaccination is a good idea i think everyone should have them however we are conscious that um throughout the sector there's something in the region of sort of 76 percent of people who work in the domiciliary care sector have been vaccinated so which leaves quite a big gap of, of 20 something percent where where they haven't got both vaccinations vaccinations have been a, around a long time now it's not like people are being wait, uh, wait uh, waiting to be called forward um if 
that goes through Parliament. Uh, if it doesn't get objected, if it doesn't get softened, if it doesn't get things, then you could have a sector in, in April the 1st, which is when it's being positive to bring in, that 10% of that domiciliary care sector is no longer able to service those individuals. And if that happens, and it won't be uh, uniform, by the way, it won't be 10% of each domiciliary care service because different areas of the country, different dynamics, different um, different, different um, socioeconomic groups of employees have different vaccination levels. So you can find areas where it goes up to sort of 40%, 50% unvaccinated. What is interesting about that, Matt, Matthew, is that um, if you look at the data that's recently published, 90% of the NHS workers, 90, have had double vaccinations. Versus, yeah, I think it's slightly more, actually. Because, yeah, probably, it's probably probably 92, yeah. Versus the 75% of the dom care space um, that have had both doses. So there is already a lag, right? And then, then if you start to put the maths on it, you go, well, you know, there's about, what was it, Matthew? There's about four times more uh, dom care workers than there are um, uh, care home workers in the UK. And it's about, it's, not quite, but yeah, it's, 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 it's twice as many. Twice as many. Yeah, and because of... A dom care worker looks after more people than a a single dom care worker covers more people than right. a single care home worker, right? Because care home worker limits are twenty two beds and things like that. Yeah, so you 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 end up with a a dom a, your average dom care worker will have will have will have as many will, could have twenty customers a week. Yeah, depending upon what they what they what they did different treatment. And obviously, there's more people in, that have those that feed into that. But a care home tends to have fewer carers per resident. Just because of the way the dynamics yeah. work, right? But um, the the problem is, it's a supply led industry already, and this is what I keep coming back to. And this vaccination, when they, if they, if and when that comes in, and and even now, it's, it's going to cause ripples, right? Just announcing it, it's not like I mean, I don't, I don't quite understand this. They said, well, we'll announce this now, and then we'll expect people to have that done by March the thirty first, or we'll deal with the problem March the thirty first. I mean. And we, the reason it's March the 31st, by the way, April the 1st is the, the, the change day, is because they thought they didn't want to introduce it over winter pressures, mm. which which is an amazing arrogance, really, to, to think that you're telling a bunch of people that they're not got a job in a few months. But by the way, guys, stick around, right? Because, yeah, and, and not, not yeah. just stick around, but like really put the nose to the grindstone for the next yeah, few months. Yeah, stick around for the hardest, the hardest. winter. Yeah. yeah. And then like, um, if you don't want to, you can, you can go off if you, you know, if, if, if when you, you want to. So with, with, the, with this whole vaccination area, how, how well consulted do you, look, again, I don't, you know, this isn't about whether or not we think vaccinations are a good thing or a bad thing. Um, sure. Obviously, I think they're a good thing. Um, I'm sure people have their own reasons. But um, what, what were you, how consulted was, was your industry about this particular area? Because, they're, irrespective of what you, it sounds like what you're saying, which I think makes some sense, which is irrespective of where you stand personally on vaccinations, this is going to have a monumental impact on staffing and therefore care. So at what point did you get brought into that conversation or not really at all? So, so, so there hasn't been a lack of consultation. There's, there's been huge volumes of consultation. There was a whole six-week consultation where a lot of, in, uh, a lot of online uh, forms were requested and things like that, and a lot of completion, and it was it was well attended as far as these consultations go. Um, the consultation evidence is quite clear. You know that sixty something percent of seen of social care managers don't think this is a good idea. Eighty percent of the public don't think it's a good idea. There is no majority that think of subsectional group that thinks this is a good idea. <laughs> and um, here it, it's it's 
odd because the consultation results are very clear. Right. Uh, you know, if you if you just went off the consultation. Now, granted, what I don't know, and, and I have no way of knowing, or, or, or I don't have the time to research this, well, what happens if you don't vaccinate these people? How many more people are likely to end up in hospital as a result? Mm-hmm. Um, but just as a straw poll, I'd be surprised if it's more than the response of taking away 10% of NHS staff. Because if even if you take away 5%, right? That means 95% to deal with what is going to be over 100% need this winter. Are those 95% going to stick around or are they going to, you know, are you going to end up with a sort of tipping scale where the closer people are to the stress level, the further they fall off the scale and it drives the scale up and it just becomes a, you know, a cycle. And that can certainly happen in all social care and domiciliary care because, you know, it's not like a shop that's busy and, you know, well, it's a busy day on tills, but people have to wait, right? You can't, you can't not provide the care yeah. visits. On a Sunday evening, you can't say, "Ah, oh, you know what? Actually, we're understaffed, so we're not going to do as much this week." It, yeah. it, that's not the way it happens. So it falls to those people who are still there, and of course, the more stress you put on them, then the worse they get. And in, in some ways, savvy care providers will know that the best thing they can do at a time like this is hunker down and get and and, and get rid of or get rid. But bad phrase, but get, you know, hand back as much work as they can. Because they know it's going to fall over. They know it's going to be problematic. They'd rather keep their staff free from stress as possible. Right. And then... So, they make an, they, so, so you think yeah. there's, a, there's a risk that they will make an early decision to sort of proactively say, oh, we, we don't want to do this bit anymore and push it back on the local authority, which then obviously creates a problem as to where that goes um, in Absolutely. the market with declining yeah. resources, right? Like if... if, if hmm. So just to go back, just to go back a slight step, because um, it, it sounds like a lot of the discussion around this topic is sort of the mandatory vaccinations will will force ten percent, or depending on how where you get your numbers from, ten percent of the workforce out of the workforce, whether it be social care or NHS or whatever. Is, is there any? And again, I, I don't. You, you might know, and I'm not asking you to, you know. Give away any confidentiality or, or any personal um, person, per, personal information, but is there any of those ten percent or however many things? Do, do you believe that any are they so entrenched in their views that ten percent that this is not this just won't motivate them? They would actually leave, or is there some kind of percentage that will actually this is the final stick or carrot that they need, or is it, or are we way past that because we've been talking we've, about well, we've run this, for, we've run know, this experiment already. We've run this experiment with the care homes. So we've been in a situation okay. where the care homes have X percentage unvaccinated. It's made clear to them that if they're unvaccinated, they lose their jobs at this date. Yeah. We did talk about yeah. how that we've got that sort of self-declaration type thing. So that that does sort of soften the figures and make them a little, you know, create some noise around them. But the, the numbers that I've seen there, and again, it would be best if people are listening to this to, to double check on their own their own um their own say but as i understand it, about uh, about 45 percent, 40 somewhere between 40 and low you know high 40 percent have been vaccinated after being given this ultimatum so for every for every 10 people that are, that are in that boat at the moment only five are going to get on uh, and, and stay on the rest are getting off right so okay. um and 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 if we were in the scenario we thought we might be in um I think most people earlier on this year were predicting high unemployment rates and we were, we were predicting recruitment was going to be a relatively easy task. 
that's not happening. Yeah. There's massive labour shortages, and it's not just our industry; it's across the board. Um, mm-hmm. Means that these people can go and get other jobs really easily. Well, so I, I had a question about this. I had a question about this because again, you, you know, you, there's a lot of around this industry around it being supply led, and you know, um, there being a staff shortage. And so, what are the what would what would the ideal pull factors for you to be pulling more people back into this industry? What what would that have to look like to to bring more people back? Is it is it improved working conditions, pay? I don't know. There could be lots of different things. But what would those pull factors in an ideal world be? I think I think you have to to answer that question properly. There's two things. One one is you have to take note of the current situation and, and recognize that it's not normal right so like right. you know the the, the, the the fact that there's not enough butchers and the fact that there's not enough lorry drivers the fact that there's not enough of a lot of people is not like bars haven't got enough people that 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 will pass eventually um but even if you go back take all that noise out then you've got you'd have to go back to understand how domiciliary care how home care is often commissioned by local authorities um and that's the sort of conversation would lead you on to understand why domiciliary care companies pay in the manner that they pay um and it's all to do with the sort of um unit-based um commissioning of care so they will they will um they will want to so a local authority will want it's got a legal obligation to look after someone and make sure that they're um that's after they will want to pay for that in the most efficient way possible so they will might from their perspective they might say well some you know the, the, this this individual needs eight hours of care a week or seven hours of care a week let's say two half hour visits a day um we were we shall therefore pay seven hours and we will therefore locate a care company and we go we want to basically buy seven hours of care um and the problem is that 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 make that that means that we're going to pay them on the, each visit when they get to hospital we're not going to pay the care provider if they don't need oh, the visits so we're not so going to pay the very, care provider. So instead of it being, yeah. so it's a bit more pay as you go sometimes, as opposed it's, to being. But not even a bit more. It's totally, yeah. So this right. is how local authorities do these contracts. And of course, if you're there, they're their monopsy, okay. right? They're the key buyer. Um, yeah. So so they monopoly. they they control it. Yeah. Well, the reverse the monopsy, yeah. isn't it? Things they, they they control the buyer. So they're basically there's firms in there, and if they if they don't if you don't want to sell at their their market if you don't want to sell um their market store then then you don't have a choice you either close or accept the contract um and going back to our 80 percent of those uh, single operations you know sort of family run maybe small operate you know that's a very difficult decision for them to make they can't pick up their care force go over the border and work work in another local authority if they're based in worcestershire Mm -hmm. they're based in worcestershire they can't go well you know what somerset looks like a better gig let's go there yeah let's take our in the same way you can with other um, other things and that once you understand that 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 explains how domiciliary companies pay and how the job works and and goes a long way to understanding why it's not as attractive as it could be right. because basically we're talking about paying people for visits of care and saying we'll pay you for an each individual visit in the right. same way that amazon might pay for each individual parcel stuff like that or like now, if you, uber, or uber pay uber pay per, per ride yeah, kind of. yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, the, and the reason is because if we took another approach, which was to say, well, let's employ people and then we'll do the visits and um, by employ people on a block of hours and then we'll do the visit, you know, that's a big risk because if we end up with too many visits, not enough staff, then we're going to end up cramming them. If we end up with not enough, too many staff, not visits, then we're going to go out of business next week. 
So the only way to do yeah. it is because it's not a population base, but that's how it's come about. And because it's, it's got here... It's is so complex, this issue. Yeah, because it's got here, how do you then untangle that? And it's very, very difficult because well, you can't stop it. You can't put this on hold. You can't no, say, right, we're going to stop no, doing it for well, four look, weeks while we come up with something else. Well, look, I think what we're going to do now, we're going to go stop for another commercial break. And then afterwards, you spoke at the beginning of the show about you got into this because you had a vision for the next 20 years. So let's hear that vision and let's understand how we're going to integrate or you're going to integrate technologies. I know we talked about that in our pre-production call. How can that alleviate some things so we can look at the look at the future? So, yeah, we'll be back in two minutes. The station that makes you feel good. Galar Light is the quantum energy emitted from the universe from the sun and stars. Now, Tom Palladino, a humanitarian and scalar light researcher, has created the world's only scalar light healing system, a system that can bring long-distance healing and wellness to humans, pets, and plants via a photograph. Get your free 15-day trial now at scalarlight.com or click on the Scalar Light banner on the UK Health Radio website. Shields like masks are top of mind right now. But did you know you have inner armor working constantly to protect you from pathogens? It keeps you healthy and thriving. It's your immune system. Ion Gut triggers the body's natural ability to support gut strength all year long, so your immune system can protect you when you need it the most. How are you treating your inner armor? Visit uk.ionbiome.com to learn more. Ion Gut. Protect what protects you. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to the final part of our social care, social care special. Get that out um, on this week's Health Tech Hour with Matthew Dunster and Fergus Hay from Digital Home Visits. So before the previously in the show, we were going over some of the areas, some of the issues. Obviously, this whole area is extremely complicated, extremely complex with lots of interlocking parts but at the start of the show Matthew said that one of the reasons why you got into this area was was because you had a vision for how it could be so um and I and I want to bring in the technology aspects as to how that could help as well so I kind of asked the open question Matthew what so what is that vision that you have for the next 20 years in this space um I think yeah it's a very wide question I think yeah, the, sorry, I put you on the spot okay. okay. I think there's um I think that this this sort of breaks down into sort of three or four different areas um that you can broadly categorize things for. Um I think there's there's what I refer to as the, the sort of moonshoot type technologies. These are the sort of preventative measures. How can we prevent people from going to hospital? How can we know that they're getting ill before they get ill, etc.? Um and you know, how can we monitor them electronically and things like that, which which um Sounds quite basic when you sort of sit down around a ballroom and discuss it. It sounds like everything, but it's an incredibly tough nut to crack. Um, and it's going to require lots of, of sort of innovation and thinking. And, and, and it's not even just like if you can come up with the technology, the whole, that's almost like an easier bit, the whole outlay, the whole rollout of this and the whole sort of the structure that it fits into with health spending, local authority spending, you know, 
having 130, you know, people talk about the home care market. There's not a home care market in the UK. There's 137 individual home care markets because there's each one run by a different local authority on slightly different terms. Um, there are, <coughs> there are, excuse me, there are, there, there, there is a sort of whole sort of long term aspect in terms of how we do, but the technology is not going to get people up in the morning and it's not going to get them out of bed. Uh, I think, I think even, even Fergus will admit that we're a fair way off, off that. We can get them up in the morning, robot. Matthew. We can get them up in the morning. We can set alarms. Yeah. Well, we haven't got the robots that, you know, and, and, and that's what ultimately we lack, right? We lack human capital in this, in this thing. So we need to find ways of preventing people from getting to being, needing that human input as much and making the human input that we do have more valuable. Um, and, and, and I think there's a bunch of people working on stuff and we're working on stuff around that. And, and, and I think it's all, it's all gonna ha- it's all gonna sort of come to fruition, but it's not gonna be in the next twelve months, right? Well, no one's gonna come up with a eureka moment of, of, of you know, it's it's unlikely. Um, but but it's there and it will be in the future. So I think, um, I think what, what I would add to that is um, fundamentally the vision has to be how do we create a system where the population can get access to so a positive care experience, which is staffed at the various phases of their needs. Whereas at the moment, the system is set up that you have an acute issue, you would go into the social care system and you immediately need quite a lot of, um, of social care. And that creates this bottleneck and this bottleneck is what has a huge societal um, impact as well as a system impact. And the danger here is that people think that you can disrupt the healthcare system. You know, as Matthew has really helpfully articulated, the healthcare system is really complicated. And it's got lots of legacy structures and issues and protocols and the way that the money is spent by the, by the government system is, is really, really complex. So someone with a random piece of technology isn't going to blow that all up in the way that Uber kind of completely changed how we think about transport. And so it has to be about looking at the full social care experience from preventative care to acute experience to, um, to domiciliary care to care home, care home experiences. And see where are the strategic opportunities to introduce technology to make it better. And that's about alleviating the bottleneck. It's about improving access to care, improving the, the labor force. And, and as Matthew has rightly said, it's not a silver bullet. There's an enormous amount of opportunity across the entire um, supply chain of, of social care to improve it. And, uh, and, and that's where kind of you take hardware, you take data and you take domiciliary care provision. Like, you know, as Matthew's described, the, in, the inter- integration of those three things. Um, will improve the quality and access. The reference to Uber is really interesting for two two reasons. One is the whole concept of Uber. It's not it's not that revolutionary, right? You've got an app that you book taxis. That's what it does. Uber was successful on the basis where it's pouring money, but also you know the infrastructure for Uber had to be there for Uber to be successful. If we weren't all running around with smartphones, Uber wasn't successful. If we couldn't have all the four, if we didn't have a whole load of 4G data points and 3G data points, Uber wasn't successful. If we didn't have all the fintech that sat behind it, Uber's not successful. There's a, there's a there's a number of there's a number of things that need to be in place, and there's no difference to any other market in the healthcare market. It's it's more complicated to introduce them. Um, and the other thing is that people look at the Uber success and think, well, it's matching. It's basically they've got a, we've got a demand, we've got a supply. What we've done is matched it, and that's where we should look at. And 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 a lot of care applications have tried that. We're going to match you with the carer that you really want. We're going to have a product matching process. That really only works when there are, um, and when there are 
a lot of a lot of suppliers and a lot and the demand and supply roughly yeah, met, you mean, know roughly matter supply I, out seeds yeah yeah and, I mean, and for I've someone seen a lot of those uh, sorry, go I was gonna say yeah. I've seen a lot of those type of you know marketplaces for carers marketplaces and it's like well that's kind of all well and good but if you don't have the liquidity there like what's what, what you know what what are you how are you uber work because they could flood the market with thousands and thousands of of taxis so there was always one available within five minutes and therefore the, the price came down but having a marketplace where you, you can't find anyone because there's no one to find that's not gonna that, and also that the, providing a marketplace to more efficiency max match people really doesn't address the major structural issues in the in, in the market from what i'm hearing from you no that's right and, and somebody lives slightly out in the in the countryside when i when i need to get an uber right they're not always you know, they're not they're always, not always there, there. Yeah. Yeah, and i'm minutes. sitting there for a while um but you know what you know, we'll watching we'll the cars council but um so you know, what will what will make a difference is if um less people fall into the social care system at an acute level if you can keep people in a healthier state at home before they need um care services funded by the government then you will ease the system so that's where you get into this interesting preventative care space. Now, clearly, there's a labour force piece, which is a government policy led, which will be how much can we pay carers um, and, and can we increase their pay in order to get more carers? That's a government policy issue. And, in a, you know, the private sector, we can't affect that. We can inform on it, but we can't we can't drive that. We can't wait for it either. What we can do is go, right, well, what what technologies can we bring in that understand how people are living right now and can identify issues before they become acute? or provide uh, services to keep people healthier at home for longer. And that's that preventative care space. And I think that's where it becomes really, really interesting, particularly if we've seen that people are willing to spend 25 quid for a 15 minute um, consultation with a GP over their phone. I appreciate that's not the mass mass market, but it's still a lot of people and particularly post COVID. You're going to see consumption behavior change to saying, okay, well, what can I use technology for at home to address some of my um, health health needs before it becomes acute and I think that's where you'll see society shifting away from the bottleneck and if society shifts away from the bottleneck the system just ease evens out a little bit it's not it be, button, but it's a solution and with digital digital um digital visits, is that is it is, is it your role to be driving that adoption of those assistive technologies or is this more of just something you personally feel strongly about like what where does that responsibility lie across this sector do you think because I, I agree with Fergus which is that anything that can be I mean that's what pop dogs all focused on is, is preventative health and helping people live healthier lives and if, by, by definition the longer you can keep people at home the better and if you can prevent them becoming sick the better but you know what what's your view about the role that a company such as yours plays in that in that fight so to speak well, well our, you know our vision is to give a um, better quality of care to, to the elderly and the vulnerable so we want to continually to improve that and I think if we were to limit ourselves just to government funded domiciliary care contracts, I think that's really tricky because 80%, you know, that's government funded. You're relying on one customer who's going to inform the dynamics of the market. They're going to dictate it. But we have to have a wider um, aperture. So we have to look at the full journey that a beneficiary, um, um, a beneficiary of care goes through. And at diff- what stages can we make an active influence on? And that's why we think preventative care is a really, really interesting space to do so. For the, um, the government-funded care contracts, we will inform and influence the government as much as possible. But fundamentally, they will make the call. And it would be naive of us to sit here and say, you know, increase wages by 3x um, in the next six months. We don't have the power to do that. But we do have power to affect 
uh, beneficiaries before they hit um, those government contracts. So, I, and, I, and I think history shows, Steve, and that's why you're doing so well with PopDoc, which is it's the private sector that drives innovation and it's the public sector that drives adoption. So, you know, our role as um, technology enabled companies is to identify the strategic weaknesses in the system, innovate using our knowledge in data and technology and the care system to create solutions that once validated, the government can ad adopt and, and deploy at scale. And I think, I think you know, it's not just us, it's, it's everyone in, in, in this sector is, um, it, it will be thinking the same. I think that makes sense. Matthew, the, one the, more question for you in your experience. Yep. Oh, sorry, go on. Carry it. No, go for it. Go. I was just going to pick up what Fergus saying. I think digital. So, what, where we've got to with DHV is, we we under we've done a lot of research on the sort of, you know, we spent a lot of uh, time looking into solutions for the sort of like the, the disruptor, the, the the Eureka type, and looking at preventative care and looking at those models and things like that. And what we found is that, you know, we uh, the structure is not quite there. To, if I can stretch this Uber analogy, you know, we we haven't quite got the. The th the, all the 3G posts and the smartphones that everyone, that, 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 you know, they the government aren't ready to adopt that. What they are looking at is more incremental, right? Because there's a huge, huge gap between a monitoring device, let's say, that's going to monitor someone at home that could be used, like, like you know, which is basically a sort of glorified baby monitor, to a device which is going to predict whether someone's going to go, you know, have a chest infection. They're, these are these are differences is 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 vast between a medically advice but that will be the you know that, that will be things that happen so we we're adopting sort of a multi facet approach to it and it's it's we have those we have those things go but we're also looking at what the government is trying to do because at the end of the day they're the leader the private market is is buoyant but it's um it's often oversubscribed in terms of people who are sitting in developers who are sitting in rooms sort of thinking about what the healthcare space might need and without actually ever going to ask the healthcare providers or the buyers what do you want um for example a good one i had there was a you know to somebody about how you can get blood pressure monitors at home and it will basically ping the blood pressure to the gp every how often and it sounds great it sounds like a great idea we're going to prevent loads of stuff but if you go and ask a set of gps do you want everyone in your town's blood pressure every 15 minutes they'll probably say no 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 thank you because actually if we took all the blood pressures we'd probably find that a lot of us are over the 120 80 advisory limit but actually if you went to see a gp about it so well, okay let's just monitor it and you know it, it's yeah. that sort of thing what do you think about it? so when we talk about sort of home monitoring solutions how, how we you know there was a sort of need that, that our local you know dom care providers will buy this because then they'll get more local authority contracts because they'll be able to deliver better services the fact is we're in a supply-led industry the dom care providers don't need to do this why would they need to bring this technology on board they just tell the local authority, no, the local authorities don't have a choice. They still have to use them because they can't stop the service. Um, but I think there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a move towards, and I talked about this sort of like, you know, care by numbers, care by task and time, care by, you know, eight hours, seven hours, whatever it is. There's a move away from that to make it more efficient. And there's a technology that can drive that or at least assist it. And I was talking about the groups. We're talking about sort of like where people are looking at outcomes-based care and strength-based approach and things like that. And how, how can you how can you make that person's life better rather than go, oh, you need seven hours of care? Yeah, because that's not really the way you would adopt anything else, is it? I mean, you don't go to a hairdresser and go, right, I've got half hour of haircut and go. 
Yeah. yeah. It's not how it's not how it's, it's not how the most basic things work, but that's the way systems. So those systemic changes, the tech is going to have to come in and support those. How do you monitor that stuff? How do we look at those people? How do we record what is going on in their lives? How do we integrate stuff to give that person a better outcome? And also, you know, as we know, the big pro- a massive problem is the how do you how do you this how do you place all these resources you've got limited care resources there's unlimited ones how can you place them and at the moment it's massively inefficient some people have too little some people have too much some people don't have any at all and how you get to that stage of giving those the, the commissioners and the people responsible the information and the things they can look at to make those decisions more elegantly that is the big piece of tech development that is being overlooked because a lot of people are in a room going wouldn't it be great if we could yeah. monitor whether someone's about to fall over? And yeah, it would be sense. great, but, you know, so would flying cars and, 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 well, and lots of other, and, and my kids doing their homework on something. Bit, that, all of it, the stuff, yeah. you know, it's going to take a while. But, to, but, 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 yeah, your point around, your point is valid, which is that if you're going to, you know, have something that detects whether someone could fall over or something like that, then there needs to be someone at the other end of that pipe who can take an act immediately to then prevent that so sort of you you need the full i think what you're saying which makes sense is that before you can implement any of these things you need to make sure that the full pathway is ready right yeah and the funding is the way to the way to fund it how do you how do you pay a provider to do that and look and the bottom line is carers are leaving caring jobs to go and take jobs at subway or in amazon warehouses and that's because they're paying better and as much as someone is vocationally driven, we need to find a way to get these carers paid better, which is obviously government-led, so that we have the staff to be able to fulfil and all the needs that the technology might identify, which is why the government policy is, so, is such an important part of this. And we must create... There are people in the UK who will be willing to work for the right, for the right compensation. And, the, and, and that's, that's a key that needs to be unlocked. Great. Well, look, on that note, we've reached the end of the show, guys. I think we could do another hour... This area, I think, is really complex and there's a lot of stuff to unpack. So um, really thank you to both of you for coming on. Thank you for your candor and for explaining it to us, to myself and the listeners. I certainly learned a hell of a lot. So um, again, Matthew Dunster and and Fergus Hay from Digital Home Visits, experts in the social care space. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, Yeah, I hope to hear from you again soon, maybe get you back on for a a third hit. But yeah, thanks for coming on. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Steve, and thanks, everyone. Thank you, Steve. Good for you, I guess you moved on really easily. You found a new girl and it only took a couple weeks. Remember when you said that you wanted to give me the world? I guess that you've been working on yourself I guess the therapist I found for you should really help Now you can be a better man for your brand new girl